Now, illegal mining in South Africa, once a localized problem, has evolved into a nationwide criminal syndicate with far-reaching economic implications. However, the extent of the criminal trade often remains downplayed by mining companies. This pervasive nature of the issue raises questions about the situation and dynamics at play, as well as how to curb the practice while preventing it in future. Joining us to explore these complex issues around the surge of illegal mining is uh, Dibalo Chavana from the Mineral Council of South Africa and David van Veek from the Benchmark Foundation, who will join us in a GIF. Dibolo, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Absolute pleasure. Dibolo, I must ask, I think, a question uh, that we would like to start with is, how did we get here? No, no let's not, I mean, um, there's been, illegal mining has been taking place for, for decades in South Africa. I mean, you've got to understand that um, um, where it's primarily taking place in, you know, in these oldness and derelict mines that were mined, uh, you know, 100 years ago. So, so we, we've had this, this, you know, this tradition of mining in South Africa, and as it happened, you know, illegal mining would take place. And it's only rather uh, uh, recently, you know, especially under the, the more the democratic dispensation, that stronger laws have been put in place to curb, you know, to protect the environment, to ensure that mining takes place in a much more uh, conscientious manner. Uh, previously, as you can imagine, people would just put a fence around the mine. That's all they did. You know, our requirements are much more stringent now. So, but unfortunately, we've got this um, legacy of the past. So it's, it's been with us for some time, but certainly getting worse. Let's I think talk. the challenge that we have mm-hmm. in the South African context, if I may say, where it's very different maybe also to other countries, is that one in South Africa, so you've got illegal mining taking place in multiple commodities, um, um, we even, unfortunately, have industrial-scale illegal mining in South Africa. I mean, where people are utilizing heavy earth-moving equipment out there in the open, and, you know, the regulator knows that this is not a legitimate organization, or, and, and even communities know that. So that's what I mean by industrial-scale. And then the other point is that um, in South African context, also very different to other parts of the continent and, and other parts of the world, it is very violent in South Africa. Um, so the, the scale of violence that is applied by these illegal miners and they link with syndicates is really on another level uh, if you compare South Africa with other countries. But yeah, but more quite importantly though, we don't underplay it as the mining industry. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a problem, and it can pose an exi- existential problem uh, to uh, formalized mining. So we do take it seriously. I'm keen to actually uh, get some insights on those uh, requirements that have been put in place there, you know, forcing mining companies uh, to do a little bit more. Like you're saying, back in the day, people could put up a fence and, uh, you know, disappear, done with the ore body. But of course, it has changed. What has changed, Dibelo? Oh, a number of things have actually changed. And I think you must try bringing the environmentalists uh, mm-hmm. to come in. I mean, there's, there's a requirement to do concurrent rehabilitation as you mine, um, you know, essentially plan for closure and make financial provision um, for closure. So, and, and, and as you know, we've probably got in excess of six billion odd rand sitting in environmental rehab funds that can actually be deployed um, for these purposes. So if, if we, and we've got inspectors uh, that actually inspect the, the mines to see that they're actually doing the concurrent rehabilitation. Um, so the framework and the administration is there. So if it is applied, we shouldn't be having uh, these kind of challenges in the future. But look, I guess the challenge is always that uh, the the inspectorate is not sufficiently resourced to do these kind of things, um, So, which is a big challenge. I mean, illegal mining is really quite rife 
in South Africa and happening all over the country. And it's underground, it's, in, it's, in, it's under stealth of the night, as well illegal activities, well, most illegal activities are. So it's very difficult to get a handle on it. David, I'd like to welcome you to our, our conversation. Thank you so much for being with us today. David and I were really just reflecting on uh, some of the requirements that have been put into place uh, for mining houses where uh, the rehabilitation of uh, all parties is concerned. But the question that we started off with, David, was how did we get here? I'm keen to get your thoughts on uh, you know, this one. How did we get to a place where illegal mining is so pervasive um, and, as Dibala has pointed out, so violent in our society? Well, I think first and foremost, um, illegal pilfering of gold took place since the 1960s already. When I was a child, my father was an engineer at the Western Holdings Mine in Belcom. Uh, there were frequent reports of people stealing gold from refineries and so on. Um, so it's a long-standing thing, and it's deep-seated. The second thing is that um, we we have allowed mines to be abandoned instead of them being rehabilitated and closed properly. I don't think that we quite know how to rehabilitate mines because the mines are full of water and they fill up with water very quickly if you leave them. They need to be constantly pumped to get the water out because the water becomes acidic and that itself becomes a problem. Then I think that the other thing is that we have to accept that mining is in decline, that minerals are not sustainable because they're not renewable you can't plant gold and more gold will come up when gold gets done then it's you know there's still plenty of gold but the gold is very deep and we don't have the technology to get to it and we don't know how to deal with the water problem with the gold that is that is still there now when mines when mines are abandoned our workers also get abandoned they get retrenched and for 130 years we've had workers coming from Lesotho, mozambique zimbabwe and other so-called frontline states, if I may call them that, and their economies did not develop because the labor force that should have developed their economies were sitting in South Africa, in, in the gold fields and South African mines as migrant workers. So when they go back there now, there's no jobs for them in South Africa as mines are shutting down, and there's also no jobs for them where they come from because those areas have never been developed. Um, and so we have a major problem there. Also, we have a major problem that 600 million rands of pension funds and UIF funds and other funds do not get paid out to workers that get retrenched because fund managers make a profit from from keeping those funds. And so when we interview people in Lesotho and other places, they say we are coming to fetch the pension of our father or we're coming to fetch the pension of our brothers and so on. But apart from that, there's also a lot of human trafficking that is going on, you know. So when we had 22 mine workers dying in the uh, uh, in the northwest province in the Klerksdorp area two years ago, and I was in conversation with the premier of that province, the widows interviewed when they came to identify the bodies of their husbands said that their husbands were recruited to come and mine, and they and they thought that their husbands were there legally. You know, then there is a case about three, four years ago where the Blayford management were arrested for, for running an illegal operation mm-hmm. next to the mine where they were uh, taking the proceeds of the mine and, and processing it and getting it into the system using essentially ghost workers mm-hmm. underground. Mm-hmm. And so we need to we need to we need to differentiate between people who are operating on abandoned mines and we are need to, uh, and and those people who are operating on operating. Mines.
the ones who are operating on operating mines are clearly committing a crime in the sense that this is a licensed mine that belongs to someone else. How do they get into the mine? Because most mines have militarized security. Yeah. How do they get past the militarized security into the mine and operate alongside the mine workers? Okay. And that has to do with subcontracting and labor broking. People no longer know who should be underground and who should not be underground. Mm-hmm. In the old days, the mine employed 100% of its employees. Nowadays, it's all subcontracted and labor broker uh, employees that are there. Okay. And shift bosses and so on don't have a clue who should and should not be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you for that, David. Uh, you know, David, I want to bring you in here because, uh, you know, the Mineral Council of South Africa has identified what is called the five-tier syndicate system. It's a very important, I think, because what it does is that it really helps us understand also uh, that very deep criminality is involved. I mean, uh, David just brought matters in of even human trafficking. And so what it also tells us is that uh, outside of a mining issue, we seem to have a, a crime issue here um, and porous borders um, and, you know, a poverty and uh, but the Mineral Council has developed, has understood this in a five-tier way. Just take us through uh, those uh, five tiers very briefly, helping us uh, just understand. Okay, so it, it, and, and what it is is really just an analysis mm. of the, the structure mm. of the, uh, the illegal uh, mining operations mm. in that what you have, you know, at this lowest level, as we say, is the actual individual um, actually involved in the, uh, in the mining. And then you've got the groups, the gangs. And then above that, you've got the local syndicates um, then that obviously buy the product from them. Um, and they're very well organized. And then they pass on the product to the exporters. The exporters then obviously uh, work with their international buyers. And then at the fifth level, you've got the international buyers and distributors at a, at a global scale. But what it basically shows is a very structured, organized criminal syndicate. And, and, and that's really the nature of it. And, and so you require, you know, policing, you know, to, to work, yes, at the lower level where uh, the people are actually mining. But in order to crack it, you've really got it. The police have to be focusing on the demand side and, and really working on cracking the actual international syndicates. There are some very powerful, rich syndicates that are involved in the business um, of illegal mining in, in South Africa. And, uh, and, and but, you know, the good thing is that um, the police from a South Africa perspective have also realized that they've got to work as multiple units. You know, it's not just your local police that can get in. It's other intelligence gathering forces within the police that actually have to tackle this problem at the multiple, multiple layers. There is a term uh, that has been developed called artisanal mining. Uh, I'm keen to get your thoughts on the issue of artisanal mining, which is really uh, what many, some people are saying is a failed opportunity from South Africa's perspective. And that's just legitimizing this form of mining, uh, you know, and really uh, trying to regulate it uh, instead of allowing it to operate in the shadow of the night, as Debello has said. I'm keen to get your thoughts here. Is this practical? Um, for my reading, it's, it's clear that it does happen in places like Burkina Faso and Cote d'Ivoire, uh, you know, but Debello, you've also pointed out a certain violence here that we that you know these other countries may not be seen keen to get your thoughts uh, both of you on this artisanal mining yeah let, let, let me start i think david is a um has greater in detail on this but you know they, they, there's two things we need to consider i mean there are those people that are eking out a living from the resources underground that are trying to support themselves um you know some form is a form of economic activity uh whether local or foreign you know, but you know what I mean? They, they're eking out of, you know, some survival. And then you get those that are more organized also right up to your maybe industrial scale mining activity. To the extent that you don't have a, a, a regulatory system 
that can, that is conducive to that is efficient you know relating to licensing making it easier for people to get licenses and work legally you know you're going to have a lot more illegal mining activities at all levels from you know call it artisanal right up to more formal mining mm -hmm. if your if your uh, administration is not working you're going to have a problem you know you're going to have even large mines without water use licenses essentially working um illegally but now on artisanal dave can talk a little bit more about it the other side of the coin unfortunately though is the um illegal mining where it's an illegal activity and you know um, the syndicates have no intention of being for, of being legalized. They they have their own formal structure. It's an illegal activity. They're making they're making millions. I think the DMRE's estimate is actually bigger than ours. You're talking thirty to forty billion uh, uh, per per annum. So it's a big money making activity, and they have no intention of formalizing or legalizing um, themselves. David, keen to get your thoughts on that artisanal mining, uh, you know, and the possibility of legitimizing it, bringing it on board and making it above board, uh, you know, so that we can avoid uh, the, the illegal mining, if possible. Well, I think it, we, we have worked with the Department of Mineral Resources towards the policy that was uh, tabled last year in March. Um, but the policy is not yet legislated. Um, and we have Lots of small-scale miners, artisanal miners and so on, that are begging to be legalized. They are begging to be formalized. Um, very often, it's not the guys who are uh, on the ground that are the problem. It's it's the syndicates and so on around. You know, if you look at, at Main Reef Road, we have observed that policemen during the... Uh, month end period and so on come there they don't wear their name tags and so on and they 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 themselves become involved in corrupt engagements with um uh, illegal miners and we've complained to police station commanders and so on and they insist that the uh, the guys who operate those those mines actually identify which policemen but if the guys don't wear their name tags and, and the police have guns and things like that, then the, the, the operators of those mines are intimidated by the situation. We also know that quite a lot of the land along Main Reef Road actually belongs to the city of Johannesburg. And, and we are aware that there are certain security companies that are actually renting out um, 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 land to small-scale miners or illegal miners uh, in those particular areas. Um, the policy that the government developed is an interesting policy, but it has very many shortcomings. Um, and it's in those shortcomings that the syndicates and so on then are able to uh, penetrate uh, this particular situation. I think apart from porous borders, we also have to talk about porous harbors. One can almost walk into any harbor without there being any security uh, at the harbor. Um, you know, so things can get on and off ships, uh, you know, without much control. Um, because the, the harbors are not being properly managed. Um, I, I think the same thing, the same situation, uh, 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 you know, pervades at airports and so on as well. It's quite easy to get in there because the, the, the security is not actually up to standard at our airports um, as well. Um, you know, so so um, at those levels, we, we, we really do have a, a, a very serious problem. And... Too much of our focus is actually on the operators rather mm -hmm. than the people who are doing the the, the, the demand side, mm -hmm. as already mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the people who come there. You know, we've been to we've been to operations where we've spoken to the guys, um, and uh, we are really often interfered with by the police when we when we do our interviews and so mm -hmm. on, asking us what we are doing and so on. But 
we we know that once the police leave, soon after them, the syndicates arrive in 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 dark cars and so on, and 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 approach us threateningly and so on. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 there's, a, there's a degree of collusion, unfortunately, um, in our system between authorities and syndicates. And it's just like with the drug trade in the Western Cape where mm-hmm. uh, policemen have been arrested for being involved there. Yeah. We need to begin to arrest the policemen at the stations that are involved with mm-hmm. the syndicates uh, uh, in these operations as well. Yeah. Um, and. And you know it doesn't help that we confiscate very primitive mining equipment from from the guys who are doing the operations, and then uh, those the, those the same equipment goes back to other operators uh, being resold either by the police or the syndicates who take it from the police station and so on. Um, and we we need to do an audit of all the small scale and artisanal operations in the country. That's the first step, mm. uh, and that means a proper syndicate of all the abandoned mines and so on that are there. We need to up the security at formal mines which have licenses to avoid people getting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, but unfortunately, the tunnels underground are often interlinked. So you can get from a Harmony Gold operation to a Sabanya okay. operation to another operation okay. underground yeah. because of the interlinking of tunnels. Yeah. We need to have proper maps of what is going on underground in our mines. But, oh. you know, as mines are, are abandoned, yeah. so the, the, the infrastructure and the mapping of, of, of these operations also get lost. Unfortunately, we are out of time and I would have loved to uh, had so many more talking points uh, for us. But thank you so much for your time. I think what you've both helped us do is really understand just how complex, uh, you know, this uh, situation is. Uh, thank you both for your time uh, this afternoon. That was a mining analyst at the Benchmark Foundation, David van Beek and Dibelo Chabana from the Minerals Council, South Africa.